And so I want to lead this right now because I think this is pivotal. And we've done several multi-hour long shows. But for some reason, this gets lost. And I want you to correct me if I have this wrong. Uh, so in 2017... Uh, as an example, because the narrative is Sandy Hook, you tormented the parents, you called them out by name, and you continually harassed them. From what I understand, and I have some quotes here in front of me, and I want you to tell me if I'm misquoting you, you admitted you were wrong, and you apologized, and I think that's key, because they still want to go after you anyway. So 2017, you talked about an epiphany you had on Father's Day. You said, uh, forgive me, on Father's Day, I want to reach out to the parents of the slain children at the horrible tragedy in Newtown, Connecticut, and give you my sincere condolences. You said that, right? Yes. Um, what I like about that clip is just how goddamn uncomfortable Alex Jones is while Crowder is doing his impression. Oh, yeah. I was about to say, like, that's a, a bold move, you know, give him a little credit there. But you got to you gotta hit a homer when you do it in front of him. Yeah, which is why I'm not doing my impression of Anna Kasparian later. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that is uh, that does cut very close to something I want to go. Well, I want to show you guys uh, a little bit later as we uh, as we get closer to when Anna's coming on. But as uh, Pink Floyd has so widely taught us, um, you got to eat your meat if you want your pudding. Uh, so uh, so we, we have to we have to do uh, the the meteor content first. Um, but before we before we move on from that. Um, that is worth taking a minute on because uh, the the Alex Jones thing is like, I, like the word depraved does not regularly in my vocabulary, but I think it does. I think it does apply here. Um, and this is such a weak ass defense um, that okay. So look, I'm a big free speech guy. I talk about it all the time. I'm pretty serious about it. But I'm not such an absolutist. I don't think we should have defamation laws. Mm -hmm. I don't know anybody who is. I'm sure someone somewhere has that position, but I haven't met them. Um, I, I think actually I said that once on Twitter, and since it was Twitter, there was one guy who was like me. But you know, <laughs> we haven't met them. Um, that's how Twitter works. Uh, but in um, you know, so just like on a real basic level here. So you you say or you strongly suggest you, you do headlines on InfoWars with titles like, you know, it's starting to look like uh, that these grieving parents whose who's like small children have, have just been murdered uh, are crisis actors who never had children and, uh, and, and they're part of a big conspiracy to take away the guns, which I don't know when that's coming to fruition, but whatever. Um, they're, they're part of that. Uh, and for years, people harass uh, those parents. They make their lives like hell for years. And the big defense is, well, yeah, but like, you know, three years later, I said, oh, whoops, probably got it wrong. So, you know, no, no legal consequences there. <laughs> I, I think uh, our friend Cuba has the, uh, the, the phrase whoopsie doodle. <laughs> um, it was like a whoopsie doodle he had, you know, whoop. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, like, it's it's really horrendous stuff at the end of the day. Like, you know, Alex Jones is, has always been extremely fringe, and he puts out a lot of, you know, um, conspiracies and, and, and things where he doesn't do very much research or have any real reason to be accusing folks of what he's accusing them of. But, I mean, this one was extremely egregious because 
not only are you like denying the life of, of all those children who went through that tragedy, but to basically make it seem like the parents are somehow in on it. I mean, it really does crossing the line, puts it too lightly, right? I mean, it, that, that is purposeful. And I think a lot of folks, um, you know, especially people who watch this kind of stuff, sometimes miss like how big of a reach Alex Jones um, has had over the past 10 years. Like not just him trickling down to stuff on, on Twitter, you seeing his clips, like his actual live show, the amount of people who tune into it is a significantly large audience. Um, and, you know, when you're putting that kind of information to people says that there's this like horrific conspiracy out there, um, you know, it's not too far from the mind to understand that like there is an implication there that you want you, people to go out against them, you know, it would go and in, in, intervene in some way or another. Um, yeah, I, and just on another note, like, could you imagine, like, what kind of, like, olive branch is it um, to say to the parents of, of those children that you can come and sit down with Alex Jones as, as you know, like, some kind of reward for the horrors that he's put you through, as if that's some kind of defense. I mean, there's a level of vanity that's pretty extreme even for Jones. Look, I'm sorry about all the death threats and, like, having to move and, you know, like, like everything you've got, you know, on top of grieving for your child. Uh, but it's cool because at the end of the rainbow, you get to hang out with Alex Jones. Yeah. Congratulations. <laughs> Uh, no, no, yeah, I'm just, not a good deal. Bad deal, as Trump says. Bad deal. Should have uh, <laughs> exactly. someone should have thought about it at the deal stage. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, which, by the way, uh, Andy, quick test. Do, do you know that what what uh, David is quoting there? Oh, it seemed familiar, but I, I just uh, I, I've been off in Zombie Land. Um, okay, okay. So, so Trump said <laughs> something. That it was really bad, and it uh, it should have um, it should have been called. The syntax out. is so hard to get right because it's so particular to Trump brain. But he's like, yeah, it was it was it was a bad deal, bad deal, horrible deal, and it should have been somebody should have thought of something else in the ideas and you knowing the deal stage is what he said. Yeah, and what yeah, he's talking what? about there is the murdering and dismemberment of Jamal Khashoggi. Um, by the government. Yeah, just the idea stage. They should have scrapped that one. I mean, <laughs> kidnapping a Washington Post journalist and murdering him and cutting him up with a bone saw. Like, you know, it's like, yeah, just the idea stage. No, no. Like, you know, they should have been like, no, no, no. We're going to keep brainstorming here. Like, that one wasn't good. So we did that for okay. a couple of years on TMBS. We'd play that clip for guests and see if they could guess where that was from. You could guess what he was talking about when he said that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Okay. Um, yes, very bad from the deal standpoint. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Tom. <laughs> um, so... All right, I, I did. Uh, I did want to move on from um, from deranged, performatively angry conspiracy theorists to to just address a completely different and unrelated subject. Uh, you guys see uh, AOC get heckled? I did. You know, believe it or not, I, I actually had completely missed this. Uh, I'm just like, oh, it's Larouche. I'm out. All, all right. Well. Um, <laughs> 
Yeah, let's uh, so set this up for for us, David. Uh, who who are these people? I mean, you've been around a bit longer than me um, that you might be able to give folks a better history of LaRouche. But like for folks who like don't know who LaRouche is, I'll do my best to, you know, take you through it. I mean, LaRouche sort of starts out at, at a certain period of time talking a bit like a, a Marxist and like he's doing some kind of new synthesis. Um, but very quickly, he starts tailing the right and effectively creates like a far right. And I, I'm not one of these people who uses these these terminologies right. loosely like far right, fairly fascist um, movement um, that sort of sometimes would paint itself as like fighting for the workers or, or for revolution. But he saw the world um, as, uh, as a fight between Platonists and Aristotelians, if I'm getting that right, Ben. Um, which, which, is, uh, which, which is just awesome to start with. Like, that's, yeah. That's, uh, yeah, no, that, that really explains it. Like, I, I want to, um, I, I, I kind of want to break it all down now. Right, you know, be, be like, okay, so uh, Biden played Mr. Aristotelian, uh, <laughs> Jeff Bezos played Aristotelian, Chris Smalls played Mr. Aristotelian, you know, but yeah, um, yeah, that, that is a very reasonable way to classify everybody in the modern world, but uh, please. I, I, oh, no, I'm just like, you know, I mean, like, we could maybe talk more about Lucian in a minute, but I'm sure we should. Um, but like these folks who are doing this are, are affiliated with a group called the Schiller Institute, if I'm getting that right, um, which is like a, a LaRouche organization. Um, so it's not just like, oh, like these people like sometimes appraise this person. It's like, no, these people are coming out um, of that movement. One quick thing about LaRouche too, just like there's the far right thing. I mean, there's credible accusations about them being involved in a murder of a young Jewish man. I mean, like this isn't just like, oh, these guys have crazy ideas. They attacked left-wing protesters before um like you know this is goes beyond just like some people saying bad things to also like doing really horrific um horrific stuff um i bring that all up because i don't want to trivialize it by also noting some of the funnier beliefs too that you get from LaRouche. i'm no um like opera expert but there's this controversy about the way that modern opera is sung the pitch that it's in um that LaRouche and some other like classicists like think that it's like a huge deviation uh, uh from like the the traditional style of this music and like a big part of the plank has also been to like return proper pitch um to opera which i think is very funny and they've also at times have gotten like famous opera singers like in italy to come and like record videos in support of returning the pitch with these italian opera singers having no idea the group um that they're like associating themselves with and i think that like we need to find a really good um byzantine um Lying in the sand for the, the love movement today to really hold on. In addition to like read New Deal, Medicare for all, um, Richard, know, no more, right no more triggers, yeah. like no more trigger grills. We believe that you know barbecue should be done properly on a stick burner. Um, but like, yeah. Anyway, I mean, like we should play the clip. Let it speak for itself. But if if I were to make any preface to this, you know, like there is definitely a lot of space. Like. I'm somebody who's most of the time when I'm talking about AOC, it's making the point of criticizing where she's sort of out of, yep. of out of not in step with like the left movement. Um, but I think it's really important when you to recognize where these things are coming from, because like we can make criticisms of like AOC and, and the squad when it comes to decisions that they've made. I think that what's being presented here is a little bit outlandish um, and not very fair. Um, but like 
was when first writing about this clip because it's been on Fox News and all this kind of stuff now, and all these people were like, "Well, I don't care where it's coming from. You know, if they speak the truth, they speak the truth." It's like, no, you don't no. have to. You don't have to hand it to the far right to be anti-war. Like there is a there is a base, any position that you can take without saying like, "Yeah, you know, Larusheites are cool in my book." But anyway, yeah, no, for sure. So, um, I. And yeah, I guess to fill out a little bit of that, uh, so Lyndon LaRouche um, uh, start. Well, I guess he started out in the Communist Party way back when, and then he was a Trotskyist for a while, um, and uh, and then he uh, he started. It was, was it the? It's like the National Committee of Labor Caucus or something like that. It was called, but it was like his own little front organization. And then he decided that the existing left was uh, was the big impediment to the revolution happening in like the seventies sometime. And he started he did this thing called Operation Mop Up, which involved actually physically attacking people in the streets. Uh, and then he went way way to the right, and uh, and then he kind of sort of came back, but not really like still had like a lot of very socially conservative positions, but like talk about the new deal is a good thing. Uh, and yeah, I think the original thing way back when he, he was still a, some sort of Marxist is that he decided that the revolutionary vanguard also needed to be a cultural vanguard hence the opera stuff and, and uh, all of that. And he's also, um, he'd also have a bunch of conspiracy theories that all involved like the federal reserve, like, uh, international drug dealers and uh, the Queen of England, Queen Elizabeth, was always part of this. Uh, just a fun <laughs> So yeah, they're they're challenging here. Uh, AOC on uh, UK Ukraine positions, and you know, look as you say, I've you know I've expressed public disagreement with her on some of this stuff. Um, I, I wrote an article for Current Affairs that congressional progressives need to do better on foreign policy. Um, and I think there's like, I think there are legitimate grounds for criticism. Uh, I think, you know, let's just play this and people can decide for themselves whether this falls into that category. And so there are so many uh, members of our community who may be deaf, hard of hearing, or have physical disabilities that prevent them from getting all the way over here. We don't want to exclude them from participation in our public processes. So um, our question, uh, Angelo, was the question, how do we get young people with disabilities to I'm sorry. All right, I feel like I'm not giving the insanity it's due here. We're gonna to switch to a different video. I'm actually glad we started with this one because you can um, <laughs> do a little bit of context that you don't get if you get the, uh, the video that's like basically filmed from right behind them. <laughs> yeah, no, actually, you're, you're right, because it, it does sort of show what the vibes were like there for everyone watching. Yeah, exactly. Um, but, uh, but yeah, let's, uh, let's, let's switch. Uh, and it also shows, by the way, it's a very small issue, but since this does, is going to come up, it also shows that, like, they were actually trying to read another question they already got. Mm -hmm. And so what these people are actually doing is, like, stepping on a question from, like, a disabled person who couldn't ask it. The other way, so you know, um, where you know, like, and they sort of brush that off as like being evasive, but like I said, it's not the most important thing going on here, but it is maybe worth noting. But, uh, but yeah, let's switch, uh, to uh, let's switch to the uh, the other, uh, switch to the other video. Here we go. 
None of this matters unless there's a nuclear war, which you voted to send arms and weapons to Ukraine. Tulsi Gabbard, she's left the Democratic Party because there's Okay? You originally voted, you ran as an outsider, yet you've been voting to start this war in Ukraine. You're voting to start a thermal nuclear war with Russia and China. Why are you playing with the lives of American citizens? You're playing with our lives. There will be no neighbors if there's a nuclear bomb. You voted to mobilize and send money to Ukrainian Nazis. You're a coward. You're a progressive socialist. Where are you against the war mobilization? He's telling the right truth. You have done nothing. Tulsi Gabbard has shown guts where you've shown cowardice. I believed in you and you became the very thing you sought to fight against. That's what you've become. You are the establishment and you are the reason why everybody will end up in a nuclear war unless you choose to stand up right now and denounce the Democratic Party. Will you do that? Yes or no? Okay, simple. Are you going to stop nuclear war? Yes or no? There is no line because this is bullshit. None of this matters if we're all dead. None of it. You know that. Then let's take it up right now because this is the only thing that matters. This is the only thing that matters right now. We could be in a nuclear war at any minute and you continue to fund it. That's what's going on. Why not right now? You're the liar here. Nobody has held you accountable. That's what's happening. And it is time for you to stand up and realize that what you've been saying has been lies. Let your conscience come through for once. Well, I got to say, I'm a little disappointed. I was hoping for space lasers and uh, gold standard issues, but... Uh... Yeah, no, no, just a... Just a... A very normal constituent, very upset that AOC is personally uh, starting a nuclear war. Yeah, the third nuclear war, too, I might add. Yeah, I didn't know about the first two. Yeah, um, I'm assuming World War II was one of them, but but I don't know where the uh, the, the second one would be. All right, so I, I guess I want to kick this off by asking David, are you going to stop the nuclear war, yes or no? <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying. I mean, like, look. There's like there's two conversations that you can have in response to this, right? One is about um, the United States providing military aid to Ukraine, right? Yeah. Um, and the other is like doing what they're doing, um, which like I think it's like I'm not trying to make nitpicky points, but like why, if this is just a genuine criticism of AOC, is there all this damn talk about a former congressperson, Tulsi Gabbard? Former presidential candidate, like you know what I mean. Like there, there, there's like an off aspect to this where there has been this push over the past couple of weeks to sort of, I mean, it's not been just over the past couple of weeks, but Tulsi Gabbard put out her big like, "Why I'm leaving the left and leaving the Democratic Party" video, Aloha, um, you know, thing that ju that just came out. Um, and you've seen a lot of the the these figures from whatever we want to call that movement really trying to bolster up. Uh, Tulsi, and I think it's important to recognize that there there are some some aspects of this. You know, 
the the thing about yeah, and please do. Um, <laughs> the 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 thing about like the the aid to Ukraine is that um, not getting into like a debate about whether or not we should be um, funding um, or, or sending any level of military aid to to Ukraine. What she's being accused of is actually very mild in like the grand scheme of things in the grand scheme of the political fights that are happening about Russia's invasion um, yeah. of Ukraine. Um, you know, we're talking about smaller packages, mostly humanitarian with some level of like logistical aid um, to like the Ukrainian military. Right. And like, if you want to have that fight, I, I think it's sort of beyond the purview of, of this conversation, but fine. Right. Um, but the thing is like, AOC is behind the rat, like the the saber rattling around war is ludicrous, especially if you go and read like the right wing is very split on this now, by the way, about whether or not they liked it, um, the war in Ukraine or not. Um, you can find plenty of articles attacking AOC, for example, for saying that she doesn't think that um, the United States should just like flat out strip assets from Russian oligarchs that are held in the United States because she thinks that it might be a constitutional um, issue. What I'm saying is that like there's plenty of of, of criticism of of AOC, um, you know, coming from people who really are wanting to rash it up, you know, conflict and and war and the severity of it, which makes me feel when I see this like it being one extremely one sided. And I think the claim that AOC in particular is throttling us has her foot on the gas pedal um, to a World War Three or this third nuclear war, or whatever framing it as. You know, it's just, it's like, is is completely ludicrous. And again, like, I don't want to be dismissive of people who want to have real conversations about holding uh, left-wing, like, elected representatives accountable. But I'm sorry, I can't help but question the motives of folks who are doing this in support of Tulsi Gabbard, somebody who is oftentimes presented as somebody who's anti-war, but they never pay attention to what Tulsi says. Tulsi wasn't anti-war. She just thought we weren't waging the war against, quote-unquote, radical Islam in the most efficient way. Yeah. I, I mean, if you, people, you know, I think uh, often forget this, but before she ran for president, I mean, it's funny, now she's back on Fox News all the time, but yeah. before um, before she ran for president, like back in the Obama years, she uh, she used, like there was a point where she was the person who's a Democratic congresswoman who would go on Fox to uh, get mad at, at President Obama for not saying the magical words radical Islamic uh, extremism, because apparently if you said that, that would help it defeat it. Um, she just got back from a deployment <laughs> with, with the United States military. Like, what the fuck? Like, I'm sorry. Like, that's like, it's it's just like what you're laying at the feet of AOC. Um, it, like, you are accelerating your claims. Like, you're saying, okay, support for an aid package here that had money. I'm not saying this is sure. not a big issue, but it had some money that went to the Ukrainian military. Right, one thing debate that, um, but then you can't, you're not anti-war like Tulsi Gabbard, who's literally with the United States military right now, like doing operate. Like, what the hell are you talking about? Like, if you're trying to make this principled lefty argument about who's good and who's bad, um, I don't know. I'm, I, I'm yeah, no, it's it's very very silly. Like, and, and I do think um, you know. I am somebody who, you know, I I worry a lot about escalation with Russia and the possibility of, of the conflict going nuclear. You know, I, I think that that's a, I think that's like a very real concern. But um, and I'm in favor. You know, I I, I think you know, 
what Russia's done is inexcusable, but you know, I'm, I'm still in favor of de-escalation and diplomacy. Um, and I've written a lot about it and frankly taken a lot of flack about it, right? I mean, I'm, mm-hmm. I, they're, they're, um, you know, I mean, they're, I'm pretty sure there are people who, who, uh, who think the show has been funded in rubles, let's put it that way, right? But, uh, but I, I think, but there's a world of difference between that, right? Saying like, um, we should be worried about what's going to happen if the conflict goes on. We should be looking for off ramps and way to de-escalate and negotiate to the extent that's still possible. And even saying, look, maybe you can argue that like uh, the most recent aid package, you know, that, that like maybe they should have voted against that, or at least made it conditional on you know on, on some sort of like accompanying diplomatic moves. I think those are all reasonable arguments to have, but also like. One, just chill. The, those the votes on that aid package that was not close. Let's put it that way, right? Like that was that was that was like nearly unanimous. Uh, and so I don't, you know, it was bad enough when people were saying AOC is standing between us and healthcare. Uh, I really don't think that AOC is being consulted on, um, you know, whether to, uh, uh, as 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 Kanye would put it, you know, go to uh, to DeathCon uh, three with Russia. Uh, you know, I, I don't think she's doing that. I think there are plenty of legitimate reasons to, you know, she's a politician, she's got flaws. I, I have objections about both, like both sort of communication strategy and, and sometimes votes. And I think those are absolute discussions to have and, and hash out. But I also think there's something about her in particular, as opposed to other elected left-wing politicians that seems to bring out lunatics and just get them frothing at the mouth. I don't think you have to be Sigmund Freud to, you know, uh, have some idea of what it might be. But, uh, like, also, Tulsi fucking Gabbard. Yeah, it's just... Yeah, that, that's the thing. Like, I'm sorry, that's, like, that's how you can tell that this isn't off. And, like, you know, honestly, like, um, again, like, you get people who are, are out there... You know, I've interacted with them on, on on Twitter, which we know is like not the best sample size for reasonable people. But you know, they'll say things like, as I was saying earlier, like, oh well, you know, if somebody's saying anti-war, I support them on you know wholeheartedly. And say, look, there are lots of people who are arguing for de-escalation, and um, you know, it's 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 amazing what things get picked up and what things don't get picked up when we're when we're having those conversations. Um, but even more broadly, when it comes to um, the fact that this is very clearly an attempt to try to create some movement for Tulsi Gabbard's rebrand, you have to start to wonder why it is being framed in that way. Like, I can't, like, even if, like, let's just imagine alternate universe and our comrade, like, Kale Brooks is in the United States Congress and is just, like, being, like, the number one de-escalation voice. If I were confronting an AOC for something other than this, right, over over things that I disagreed with her, it would take a little bit of, like, preparation for me to think to, like, start bringing up this other character in the conversation. And the fact that both of the folks who prepped this and went into it, made a point of bringing up Tulsi Gabbard, should help you understand they knew that they, they were very smart in the sense that they knew that this was going to get picked up. Um, they knew that this was going to be on Tucker Carlson, which is this entire media strategy of like, 
I don't know where to put these folks yet um, in like the general constellation of U.S. politics, but there certainly is this kind of like I don't want to call them left, but they're like left adjacent in the sense of like they're re they're getting mad about things that are being written in Jacobin. They're getting mad about things that are getting written in the New Left Review, right? Like they're they're swimming in the same waters to a certain extent, um, and they're making a plan to make interventions. Like again. If you want to talk to about somebody who wants, uh, who's been advocating for de-escalation, why bring up Tulsi Gabbard? Why not bring up somebody like Veronica Marshatich? You know, who's taking incredible amounts of flack and say like, why not follow principal voices like him or principal voices like Chomsky, et cetera, et cetera. Again, because like the accusations are outlandish that AOC has her foot on the gas pedal leading us to nuclear annihilation um, instead of the president of the United States. Um, well, you yeah, so like all these other people who are like playing this game, um, and two, like trying to launder um, the the political career of somebody who's shown to be just a complete loser. And I'm talking about Tulsi Gabbard. Yeah, or you know, also you could bring up Noam Chomsky, uh, or um, you know, you know who advocated peace talks back in February is is Bernie Sanders, who's actually yeah. the candidate. Or Jeremy Corbyn. Yeah, Jeremy Corbyn, absolutely. Yeah. Uh, and yeah, I mean. I, uh, as as people may remember, recently had the bizarre experience of sharing a stage with Tulsi Gabbard, um, mm -hmm. and I, I would I would say I debated Tulsi Gabbard, but I really didn't. I sort of debated some other people while she was there. Uh, she uh, she didn't really participate very much in that conversation, um, but um, but you know, leading up to it, because I thought I was going to be arguing with her more than I did. You know, I, I spent a fair amount of time looking into her and it seems like she's riding some some pretty sketchy uh culture war trains lately uh to to you know to put it mildly and also like okay she's anti-war like look she's not uh she's not leaving the democratic party for uh you know the psl right like yeah. she's she, you know she, she's leaving the democratic party for the gop which I've got to say is not a famously anti-war organization. So I, I, I think that this is like, um, actually we're about to, uh, you know, to bring on Anna Kasparian in a minute, who I think called this probably uh, earlier than anybody did. Um, but, uh, but I mean, it, it just seems like Tulsi Gabbard is maybe somebody who at various points advocated a few left-wing views. But if I were going to, you know, I mean, if I were going to go around shrilly denouncing people uh, for for failing to live up to, uh, to to some sort of left or progressive ideals, I think she's I'm, not the person I'd pick to contrast them with. I'm sorry, I have no patience for for this kind of stuff um, because the same people who are attacking Bernie Sanders, um, AOC, and the squad at large because they didn't quote unquote force the vote, they turned their back on Medicare for all because it's politically expedient. Yeah. And turning their backs, it's like Tulsi Gabbard, true socialist Tulsi Gabbard, who dropped Medicare for all from her presidential campaign the second she thought it was politically expedient. This is an insane uh, double standard. Like, look, like, yeah, it, it's just like, it's absolutely ridiculous to make the arguments like, we're gonna defend the principle of lefties, the principle of people, when, if you are a believer in Tulsi Gabbard, if you think Tulsi Gabbard is like the vanguard of some kind of progressive democratic socialist or even just socialist, right, um, like movement, look at what Tulsi Gabbard has done any time um, she hits a wall. She immediately has dropped all these kind of 
positions that some people, um, you know, praise her for and attribute toward her. And like the Medicare for all one, I mean, that's a big deal to drop that in a presidential election. I mean, you're running for the highest office in the United States government. You're basically saying like, yeah, I don't think we're going to do that this time. Like that's a little bit different than somebody who continues to support Medicare for all saying, I don't think that we're going to be able to be successful doing some kind of last minute parliamentary move to somehow get a losing vote for Medicare for all on the uh, on the floor in Congress. Right. Very, very different conversations when it comes to turning your back on on that platform. Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, this is like, uh, and, and the fact that people, I mean, whatever. It, it is such a caricature of, of what a leftist would be like for people to still be upset about a proposed parliamentary tactic that mm-hmm. like was suggested to be used two years ago that didn't even happen. And whether you think that hypothetical parliamentary tactic was a good idea or not, right? I mean, like, that. this is like, man, that is a... You know, you think about the things that, like, people, you know, had big, like, faction fights about in the past. You know, your you're sort of you know, reform versus revolution and, you know, should socialists support World War One or not? And, you know, like, um, you know, Trotsky-Stalin, you know, it's like, yeah, whether, whether some social democrats should have used one particular parliamentary tactic uh, two years ago. Yeah. No, I mean, it's... it's... <laughs> Can I just say something like really broadly about this? Because like this, this again, I, I think this is predominantly still like a very online formation, but it's popping up more and more. I don't think it's enough to wield power, but like think about the way to engage it. So drop the Ukraine stuff for a second. These folks are also pushing some other things. I don't agree with like the framing, but like in the general sense of like pushing back, like the LaRouche people are pushing back against uh, and, and pushing for some things that like um, – so, like, I'm a big supporter of, of nuclear power. I think nuclear power is one of, like, the, the best technologies we have in front of us to decarbonize and to provide a, a future of, like, abundance and a good life uh, for people compared to the Macrons and, like, the people who are – there's a center-left movement right now that's very happy to attach itself to environmentalists and Greens who are saying, what you actually need is, like, austerity. What you all need is less, and we'll give it to you, right? They're very happy to be able to re- rebrand austerity for the future. I bring that up to say that, like – a lot of these same characters who are boosting this um, AOC attack are making those kind of arguments, but with a lot more reactionary and nonsensical baggage, right? I'm saying all this to say that, like, it is important um, to be principled and to recognize when people who might even be sort of pushing back against figures who you might disagree with um, are not your friends, right? Like what the LaRouche people want for the future is not a future that I want to be living in. And even when they push back against a degrowther who I might not like, I'm not somebody who's going to be like, oh, well, the enemy of my enemy is my friend on this because you have to realize where they are coming from. I mean, it goes back to like, should the left, uh, you know, which has always been a nonsensical argument, but like, you know, should the left align itself with like anti-establishment pro-Trump people? No. Um, And in the same way, when you see this like LaRouche movement was just, Again, I think very marginal still, but they're getting a decent amount of media attention for how small they are. Yeah. Um, no, no, should take that to all aspects of politics. No, for sure. And, and, I, and I will say, this is the last thing before I bring on Anna. And if it's okay, by the way, if you can stick around for the first few minutes of Anna, there's something I want to show both of you. But um, last thing I think I'd say before bringing on Anna is just this, that, um, you know, because I, I know some people beyond her, it's like, okay, why are we, why are we showing this, right? Like, who cares? Like, yeah. you know, why, why do we, um, you know, these are obviously crazy people, right? You know, why, why is this, um, 
you know, why is this even worth the discussion? And and I think that I think it's to push back against that precise thing that you talked about, right? Because like a lot of the defense of this, like you said, is oh well, uh, I don't care who they are, right? Because they're yeah. making good points, which you know I think they're sort of making it incoherent version of something that like half of it might be a good point but like uh but forget that for a second like also no you should just apply some more discernment than that right you shouldn't just say like anybody who's yelling at people who we have criticisms of is therefore you know yeah, on the team yeah. or stuff like that that's a horrible that's a horrible counterproductive way to do politics Alex so Jones talk shit about the banks sometimes <laughs> yeah, Alex Jones does talk shit about the banks uh, and shit should be talked about the banks. Yet Alex Jones is not a is not an ally of the left. Uh, <laughs> you know this is not hard, and I think it's worth sort of highlighting the difference between the version of a critique that might get a lot of play and the version that makes any sense. And I think that is actually something that's worth doing and then spending a minute to do. But with that said, uh, let's bring on our good friend Anna Kasparian. How are you doing, Anna? Hey, I'm doing great. I didn't know David was going to be here, so I'm even better. Good to see you, Grisco. I'm, I'm happy to see you. I'm excited to see you this weekend. Yeah, me too. I'm really looking forward to it. Yeah. Uh, so uh, since we haven't said this yet in this episode, uh, on uh, Sunday, at um, doors open at, at 6, uh, show starts at uh, 7, we have the Give Them a Revolution live show. That's us. Uh, David and Matt from uh, from Left Reckoning, uh, Jason and Kuba from uh, from This Is Revolution, uh, and uh, Anna uh, Nando Vila, uh, Daniel Bestner, uh, C. Derek Varn, Ryan Lake. Uh, so uh, this is uh, this is gonna be really really fun. We actually just had a big meeting, like a couple hour long meeting I had this afternoon with uh, with Matt and David and Jason to plan that out. We've got a lot of really good stuff. Um, Plan for that. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm really looking forward to seeing everybody. Yeah, me too. I mean, um, not to reminisce too much, but I remember the LA live show with Michael a couple years ago. It's probably one of the most fun I've ever had doing one of these things. So I'm really looking forward to getting back to LA for it. Well, that reminds me. Uh, well, well, here let me let me set this up properly. And thank you so much uh, to Juasi for the uh, for the the super chat. Uh, that's uh, really appreciated. Uh, but um, so I was, Anna, uh, you, you know, main thing you're, you know, we're going to talk about in a few minutes. You just did this debate with a uh, friend of the show, Dennis Prager. Uh, and, uh, and in that debate, uh, there's something that, um, so there's this point very early on. When you brought up, uh, we, we showed this last week, you brought up the fact that, uh, that Prager U uh, has this tax status that like technically doesn't allow them to do political advocacy. And, you know, they seem to do a lot of political advocacy, so what's up with that? Uh, and then, um, you know, well, okay, we'll, we'll get back to we'll get back to that part because this is very good. But they have a, but before that, uh, you know, there, there was this wonderful thing at the beginning where, uh, where you, you showed Dennis talking about how much he aches because uh, leftists don't want to talk to him. And uh, you, you read out some, some tweets from me and Sam Seaver and other people saying, no, we'd love to. Uh, and, uh, you know, he still pretended that he was like happily surprised, you know, that you were willing to, uh, to, to talk to him. Uh, <laughs> and you have this whole back and forth about that. Uh, but, um, 
But then uh, there, there was this exchange, and this is what I want to, uh, to to keep keep David on for because because this because um, this connects up something I want to talk about. So I just want to show uh, this uh, this part of your conversation with Dennis Prager. The left isn't a monolith. There's a lot of disagreement on the left. Uh, there's certainly a lot of disagreement on things that I say on this show on various issues, even when it comes to crime. Um, I'm sure you've noticed some of the backlash I've received in that regard as well. However, I will say there is a reason why the right wing tends to be more open to having these kinds of discussions and debates and the left wing gets a little uneasy about it. And it's because there has been this prevalence of prominent figures who identify as the left, right, or on the left, who then later start to, you know, cozy up to right wing figures. And then it turns out that they completely move to the right wing because they're essentially paid to do it. They're used as tools by the right wing to essentially spew right wing talking points while purporting to still be on the left. In fact, Dave Rubin's a great example of that. Dave Rubin used to work with us. He identified as someone on the left. Well, he, they, they've yeah, go ahead. Forgive me, Adam. Dave Rubin made a video for PragerU why I left the left. Oh, I know. I, I he, he does not, in fact, state to the world that he's still on the left. He I, I don't know who you have in mind, so I, I can only address the one name that you gave. Dave Rubin acknowledges he's not on the left. It's interesting because if I recall correctly, you had a conversation with Dave Rubin. And how incredibly important it was that he was engaging in these discussions with you, discussions with the right wing. And you stated something very specific. I actually want to go to that video and I want to get your thoughts. Maybe you can elaborate on what you meant in this video. Let's watch. I want you to continue to say you're, you're a liberal because you're yeah. you're of great use uh, to to good values. Well, don't worry, I'm not doing it for my, for your use no, of me. I'm doing, I'm doing it for myself. No, I no, no, no. Yeah. It's like Christians who say to me, you know, oh, we would love you to come to Christ, but you are so valuable to us as a Jew when you defend us Christians. Yeah. And they're right. You are valuable in the best sense of the word because. The America needs people who are clearly liberal and who, and to be honest, and fall into the category of kosher as gay yeah. to say, hey, hello, the conservatives are not hate mongers. Hello, they should be heard. And maybe every so often you should read National Review right. or watch a PragerU video. So Mr. Prager, you can understand why members of the left would feel a little uneasy when these discussions take place because usually it's a sign that someone on the left got lured in with some billionaire cash like Dave Rubin did. Oh, okay, well, see, well, that's an unfair statement. I, I don't accuse people on the left of having their positions because of money. And I don't think you should do that with regard to conservatives. Alan Dershowitz is, is, is not a right winger, but Alan Dershowitz has said to me, this Harvard professor is very well known. He's lost all his friends because he, he defended Donald Trump in court. He didn't even vote for Donald Trump. Just merely defending his right to have a defense was enough for him to lose his friends. The, the assumption on the left is that if you're a conservative, you're a despicable human being. And th this is a perfect example. The only reason Dave Rubin would have done it was, was for money. I, I don't know anybody on my side of the spectrum who holds their positions because of money. Uh, there's a hell of a lot more money on the left anyway. Really?
<laughs> That's awesome. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's like it's like you know i i don't accuse anyone on the left for doing it for money like there's no money on the left like i don't know if you, you know. well you know i i've said this before i think on the show but something i think about a lot is uh last september and october of last year i was so in october of last year i did this debate with charlie kirk in uh, phoenix which um the contrast was amazing because a few weeks before that, I was in I was in New York, uh, and while I was in New York, uh, Bhaskar Sankara, the editor of Jacobin, you know, very nicely uh, had a like showed me around the Jacobin offices, and he got some people together to like have a little party on the rooftop, which was all wonderful. But like, here was the financial total financial outlay for that party. Uh, they ordered a couple of pizzas. And I think, you know, I think there were maybe like three six packs of beer that, you know, that were, uh, that were brought to that. That was that, right? Fast forward to Phoenix and you go in there and like the Turning Points USA building is its own building. Uh, it's, it's not like a floor of it, like the Jackman office. It's, um, it's got this giant Turning Points USA sign on it, the sliding glass door you go in, the carpets say Turning Points USA on it. The men's room, I remember, had like a Turning Points USA logo on it. They've got this like green room where some people are like offering you fruit platters and stuff, you know, while, while you wait to, to talk to Charlie. Uh, you know, it's, it, it, I've got to say my anecdotal impressions don't line up with, uh, with what that is expressing there. <laughs> yeah, totally. And, and, you know, I don't, I don't congratulate myself or toot my own horn much, but I, I will in the context of this debate in that it took, it took a lot. Like I knew he, I just, I just knew how this conversation was going to go. Like it was, I predicted it enough to have the receipts ready and I feel like I deserve a lot of credit for that. <laughs> so <laughs> I will say that, right? Because these, these debates always play out the exact same way, right? You'll call them out on something and they just deny. And I'm like, he's going to deny this. He's going to deny that they specifically use people who self-identify as progressive or on the left as their own little political tools to spread propaganda, right? It's, I mean, it's just the trick that we see happening over and over again. And I wish the general public, like people who want to engage with political content, were a little more privy to it. So people would stop falling for the same scam literally over and over again. Um, but whatever. I mean, if, if we have to keep, you know, revealing what the real intentions are, I'll keep doing it. But fact of the matter is Dave Rubin, I mean, he was he was the perfect puppet. Like he didn't really have any strong political ideology. He was just like, I don't know. I tried a bunch of other things that I failed at. So like, let me try to be a news person. Well, well, we should, we should give people a little bit of context here. Cause um, you know, I, I know there are people who watch this or watching since TNBS, whatever, know all this, but uh, there are also people who, who aren't familiar with, with all of this. So um, could you just uh, indulge us for a second here? Uh, you know, about this particular example, uh, because, because you, uh, you knew the guy. Yeah, I knew, I mean, right. So I actually met Dave Rubin back in 2012. Uh, we, 
it's funny because he came right up to me uh, while I was at work in the office. Uh, it was crunch time. And I just remember him being kind of annoying and persistent because I was like prepping the show and we were getting closer and closer to that deadline. And he was just like, he introduced himself. Obviously I was polite to him and then told he proceeded to tell me what a huge fan he was, love TYT, love the work we're doing. And he was just like, oh, I just feel like you guys are doing something so good. I feel like there's a lot of good stuff happening here. And I was like, okay, great, whatever. And like, he was angling for a job, right? And I was kind of, you know, didn't really care if TYT has the resources to hire him, cool, whatever. But he eventually gets hired and he was incredibly charming, very persistent in terms of like wanting to develop a friendship with me. And, you know, I fell for it. I totally fell for it. And so he and his um, now husband would invite me over. We lived in the same neighborhood in West Hollywood. So I would go over like almost every weekend for dinner. And I'm actually, it's, it's embarrassing because I think I'm a pretty good judge of character, but he really did pull a fast one on me. Like I genuinely thought he was a good guy. But when I think back on it, he wanted to talk about his salary, like constantly. And I remember just telling him like, hey, I, I get it. I mean, it's a grind. Working at TYT is a grind. Uh, but at the end of the day, I mean, it's still an independent media outlet. We can't work with like 98% of advertisers, right? So we don't really have many corporate advertisers or any advertisers, period. Um, and if we do, it's like some progressive company that like doesn't even really have resources to like sign a contract with us that's like lucrative enough to make a difference. And so I just like try to explain it to him over and over again. And at, mind you, at this time, he's doing a 30 minute weekly show. And that was it. His uh, husband would produce the entire 30 minutes. Like Dave didn't even really know what he was talking about. He would just come in and regurgitate what was like prepared for him. But I really bought that he was like, not like a leftist, right? But in the very least, like a liberal, you know? Yeah. And he, the commentary that he sometimes engaged in, like made it clear that he found Republicans repulsive. The fact that they hated same-sex marriage, obviously he found that repulsive. And so, you know, we we just became close, not based on our political views. We mostly talked about other personal stuff. And I just thought, like, he's charming. I, lo I loved his husband. I thought his husband was really smart, really talented, hard worker. TYT wanted to keep him on as a producer, even as Dave Rubin was quitting. And Dave Rubin was, like, super offended by that because, like, when he wanted to leave, my understanding is... Um, Management was like, okay, no, no problem. Sayonara. Have a good day. Like, but can we keep David Janet? <laughs> and he was like really upset about that. Uh, but fast forward to literally like a month after he left, all of a sudden he's like talking shit about us. And at first I think it was actually coming from a genuine place because one thing that Dave Rubin is sincere about and absolutely believes like to his core is that Israel should be able to do whatever it wants mm -hmm. to Palestinians, should be able to build as many illegal settlements as it wants. He thinks that uh, Palestinians are a threat to Israelis, uh, the existence of uh, Israel. Uh, I remember, and this is when we were good friends still, uh, he, we had an hour-long debate on the show about Israel and its treatment of Palestinians. He was the only person on the panel who sided with the Israeli government. And since I was such a close friend of his, 
I felt like I couldn't really engage because everyone else was like ganging up on him for good reason. And uh, one of our, so the former COO of TYT was like furious at like what Dave Rubin was saying. Cause at that time, this is in 2014, the number of casualties on the Palestinian side was, I mean, as, it, as is always the case when the conflict escalates, just brutal, like so hundreds and hundreds of civilians dead on the Palestinian side. And then there was like a handful of Israeli soldiers who had died in the conflict. And um, I remember that the Israeli military was specifically targeting like schools and hospitals, knowing full well that there were civilians and children within them. Mm-hmm. And so the COO jumps in, his name was Steve-O, jumps in and is like, okay, like, are you giving them a pass for this? So do you think it's okay for them to bomb a school even if there's like members of Hamas using that school as like a shield or something. And he said, yes, he thinks it's totally fine. And then later he had us cut that part of the debate out of the final video. And he was adamant about it, which I thought was interesting. He then went on to like Rogan and claimed that we edit our interviews and our debates, which was the furthest thing from the truth. We just, do the interviews and we post them as they are. Well, he should know because he he demanded the edit. Exactly, exactly. (laughs) But anyway, uh, before I know it, I mean, he finally got to what his ultimate dream was, which was at the end of the day, just making a ton of money with as little work as possible. Mm -hmm. And I think the content he puts out there reflects the laziness of his, I mean, just the laziness of the grift as well. I mean, if you're going to be a grifter, like you got to at least come up with decent enough arguments to provide cover for your grift. But he can't even be bothered to do that. It's unbelievable. But yeah, I mean, he bought like a five million dollar home in um, Woodland Hills, California, before he had moved to, to Florida. You don't you don't have the funds for a five million dollar home unless you're in bed with right wing moneyed interests. <laughs> and I think that's pretty clear. Yeah. God damn. All right. Uh, that, yeah, that is, that is something else. Um, and, and I would also say like, look, I generally most of the time, right. am somebody who like lightly pushes back against sort of being quick to call people grifters. I think that it's like wildly overused. I think probably most people with horrible views have genuinely talked themselves into them. Um, but like, in that video that you played, Prager, Prager's talking to Ruben, and Prager, who is, you know, I think, I think can only be described as as a kind of gross person, um, as uh, in many ways, uh, and as uh, this this sort of very like. Um, you know, big angry grandpa, you know, and, and he's, um, and he is talking about how happy he is that Dave Rubin is this gay Jewish liberal who, who will, will say things that are convenient to the right wing. And Rubin is just, you know, smiling and, you know, whatever. And like, can we talk about those hellos? Hello. Yeah, I know. It's super creepy. While holding that cigar, you know, he was feeling himself in that video. And what I what I really appreciate about um, Prager is how he really doesn't think anyone does their homework, right? Like he genuinely didn't think like anyone on the left would come across that video or watch it. I remember actually specifically TMBS covering it when it happened. 
And it was unforgettable, right? Because it was such a clear admission that Dave Rubin was being used as a tool. It was a, like an admission to his face. I remember laughing hysterically at like, you know, Michael Brooks making fun of Dave Rubin, you know, in the context of that clip. And yeah, I mean, I, I remembered it. I used it against Prager as he lied to our audience uh, about what the reality is. It's just, he's, he's weird. He's, he's as, as you guys will probably pick up on as we continue talking about the debate, there's something really creepy about him as well. And his like weird obsession with like taking American culture back to like the 1950s. And I'm not talking about the good parts of America, like the golden economic era. I'm talking about the like repressive cultural stuff, especially toward women. Yeah. Although without the, um, without like actually paying people enough that they could have a single family. Yeah. Exactly. He, he's basically job of the hut. I, I mean, he sounds like job of the hut too, but that's aside the point. Um, but, but he's, he's, you know, uh, wants to, he, he, he thinks he's uh, got all the power and, and sitting there and wanting to make somebody dress up in a metal bikini dance for him. Like just, just really quick, if I could jump in, like, yeah, you know, one thing about Prager and like the argument that he's, he's making in that, in, in that clip with Anna, um, where it's like, how dare you accuse anybody of like doing this kind of thing for money? You know, it's the same kind of thing that like dropping like this really silly thing. We've been seeing the Mac communism thing and how like wrongheaded it is. Like, it's really important for people to recognize that sometimes like things are not grassroots movements, even if they might try to present themselves. Like MAGA is a perfect example of this, like just being a good Marxist here. Why is MAGA able to like become, you know, victorious in that, that first election and beat Hillary Clinton? It's because Trump was a very, very um, welcome sledgehammer to use to the regulatory state, to like attacking working people, all these kind of things. So instead of it being an actual grassroots movement, it's something that is very top-down orchestrated to present itself as, as grassroots. And why is it able to do that? Why can we not do something like that on the left, right? Almost because it's very, very well-funded and capitalist. People in society who have a lot of power and, um, and influence are wanting this thing to succeed. And like um, dropping like just the politics, it's like the same thing with media. Like, have you ever seen like the Prager Used website? Like, if I, you know, somebody who runs an independent channel trying to build up my things, if my graphics look the way that they did, we would have no subscribers, right? But like, because like, they're very well funded, because there's an audience for it, because there's people who uh, in, in, in power and influence who are pushing for it, it allows something like this that sort of presents itself and, you know, acts like it's like, oh, these are just some interesting folks who are getting together and recording videos, debunking these things and make it seem like it's something that's organic. It's like, no, this shit is like bought and paid for from the, from the get-go. So it's like, of course, there's a lot of money for people to jump into, quote unquote, independent media on the right wing because it's very well funded. Yes. Actually, you just reminded me of something that that's really been on my mind. And I'm actually terrified about what the real objective is and how it's likely to be accomplished unless people wake up to the reality. I mean, we see that that faux grassroots nonsense happening at like a school board level, mm -hmm. right? Where, you know, to someone who might, to, to an untrained eye, right? It might seem like, oh no, these are actually mothers within the community who are concerned that their children are urinating in a litter box in the school bathroom, right? But there's actually a lot of conservative billionaire cash bankrolling this effort to, it's not about culture. They always use culture 
as the way to galvanize people, to scare people, right? So all of this like anti-transgender stuff, all of this like fear-mongering about litter boxes, that's meant to galvanize people. But the end goal for these billionaires is to dismantle public education in this country. Mm -hmm. They don't want their taxes going toward it. They don't want to pay their taxes, period. They hate unionized educators. And there is a full-blown assault on public education, which if you look at the way even rural communities, okay, that are typically pretty conservative feel about public schools or the um, um, access to public schools, they want to maintain public schools. They don't want to defund them. They don't want to dismantle them. We, this country would be absolutely devastated if we did away with public schools and public education. But that is the end goal. And like with every other issue we see in the country, Republicans are using culture war narratives to galvanize people and get them to literally destroy something that they're actually at the end of the day in favor of. And in this mm. case, it's public education. No, you know, can, if I could just piggyback off that really quick, because like here in Texas, like this is a, like Texas has been run by right wing lunatics for a long time, and they've gone their way on a lot of things. And you'd think that like in Texas, you would start to see a stronger charter school movement. But the problem is like, you know, I'm, it's it's certainly not just unique to Texas, but like because a lot of especially rural areas are like very poor, are very underinvested, like. The high school is a very important place, not just for the education of children, but it's important culturally and it's important socially. And every time somebody, you know, one of these Republicans from Austin yeah, comes around, like, we need to do private, you know, char charter schools. They're like, well, what's that going to mean for my football team? And like, you know, we can giggle at that a little bit, but like, you know, it's, it's like it's an advantage for us. And I think you're, you're so right, which is like why, like, I think like fighting back against these attacks, like these kind of like the litter box things and like these culture war things, because they know that they can't come to their voters and say what it is that they actually want to do, which is gut public funding. They mm -hmm. want to create a thing. It's like, oh, well, these woke teachers are doing crazy things and they're turning your kids into Satanists and, yeah. um, you know, all so, this kind so of stuff. Of, yeah. So both of you have referred to the litter box thing. I unfortunately do know what you're talking about, but I'd like to think that there's some people who are watching this who lead much happier lives who have no idea what the fuck you're talking about. So does one of you want to jump in and explain what this is? I'll quickly mention it since I brought it up. So, uh, you know, over the last few years, especially with COVID, uh, you have parents showing up to school board meetings to protest all sorts of things, all sorts of policies that are implemented um, campus wide, like uh, masking students to prevent the spread of COVID, uh, vaccination mandates, things like that. But it has now kind of morphed into some of the more insane culture war narratives, including fear-mongering about the inclusion of transgender athletes in school sports. And now the latest, which actually started off as a hoax um, by like, you know, broadly speaking, someone on the left, like to kind of poke fun at all the fear-mongering. It was this notion that schools have now started installing litter boxes to accommodate students who identify as furries or identify as animals, right? Which isn't happening. Again, it's a hoax. It's now being repeated by the likes of Joe Rogan because of course it is. And so like parents are showing up to school board meetings. There's like videos of this that are both funny, but also incredibly depressing where parents are like terrified. They're like, oh my God, I heard about the, the kitty litter box in the school bathroom and how could you do this? Like that kind of stuff. And it's just, yeah, it's a way of so. pitting Americans yeah. against the public education system and using like these made up boogeymen 
as like the catalyst for the backlash. Because, because you know, the one thing I think scared um, scared the right wing so much is when they saw those teacher, uh, excuse me, uh, teacher strikes in Oklahoma and West Virginia. Mm-hmm. Like when they saw that, and like in quote unquote red states, which is not something I like to use as a framing, but like in places where people like you know don't expect much. Um, you know, th- not only was there teacher strikes, but they had mass broad popular support because people like teachers in this country they support them and i think that scared the hell out of them and they realized well they can't wage war on teachers directly like that so they have to create this you know crazy culture war um that i think you know takes advantage of how society is moving fast on some things and there's like genuine confusion um to create these kind of fantastical stories that kids are dressing up as cats and pissing in a litter box (laughs) (laughs) and like all it takes is i don't know like a second to really think it through we're talking Mm -hmm. about the public education system, which is already so severely gutted that many schools can't even afford the basics like textbooks. But no, they're going to spend resources on not just litter boxes, but the staff necessary to maintain and clean the litter box. Like what? It's just. But anyway. <laughs> and and as, us, as somebody here who actually has hung out with furries, um, uh, I, I will say I don't ever remember any litter boxes at their parties. Right, <laughs> right. <laughs> they just have a regular bathroom journalism. like everybody else here, you know. <laughs> I, I hope that's your first question when you made that. So, uh, what's the situation here? Like, like, like. Oh, actually, no. If you have them over, right? I'm sorry. Where are my manners? I, I need to. I need to find a litter box. Yeah. Um, I got. I got one on each floor. You know, I'm good already. Yeah. There you go. No. Um, yeah, I mean, I think you guys are absolutely right. It's uh, and um, uh, yeah, that makes me uh, makes me sad about Rogan. He shouldn't have more leftists on the show to uh, to, to set them straight about this stuff. But um, or some furries, uh, or some furries. Either yeah. way, set them straight. But uh, the um, uh, but but I think that um, I mean, look, public education is a public. It's it's like one of the biggest publicly owned things that we do in this country. And B, you know, unionized in most places. So, uh, you know, when you put that together, I mean, it, it makes perfect sense that it would be uh, that it would be a major target uh, for uh, for for the right, and that so many of these things would um, you know would would play out there, right? That they uh, you know because ultimately they won't promote charter schools, they won't privatize things, uh, and there is this this very familiar agenda, which which actually does take me to. Um, uh, you know, now that we're actually talking about substantive things and my agenda of, of, of just having a little bit of fun, making fun of Dave Rubin has been foiled. Um, don't worry, we'll do we'll do some of that in Los Angeles. Uh, but uh, for uh, you know, for anybody who uh, who wants more of that, but that does uh, that does take me to to this other uh, really interesting exchange that you had with Prager um, at the uh, at the end uh, about immigration. Well, let's first discuss uh, the inaccuracies in your statement. Number one, there is, there are legal means to immigrate into the United States. So for instance, the asylum seekers who are being used as political pawns by people like okay. uh, Texas Governor what? Greg Abbott, I'm not done, or Florida's Governor Ron DeSantis, they came into this country seeking asylum, meaning they are here legally and they are awaiting a federal judge, an immigration judge, to make a decision about their asylum status. 
Okay. So, so the idea the, that the border that the is open and people are just pouring in illegally is inaccurate. Yes, no, it is accurate. No, it's okay, inaccurate. Good. So this is a perfect example of where we differ and there's no reconciling. Either you're right or I'm right. Either millions are coming in illegally, but whom you are calling legal because they're all seeking asylum. Do I hear you correctly? We have this a system a in place for asylum seekers. So it's are so you really, are you so saying that we should do away with that system? And if you are saying that, then it would require members of Congress to pass legislation that reforms our immigration system. But I mean, I think you'll agree with the statement, members of Congress have no interest in passing any legislation or engaging in any immigration reform. We have companies and businesses that are exploiting undocumented immigrants for cheap labor and they have no I, recourse, I that exists. But they love, they love the theater, for, members of Congress right. love the, the theater. For the record, I, I spit on corporations, they, they, are, they are woke and, and they are abusive of, of labor at the same time. So you're not gonna get any defense from me or any conservative of big corporations. Yeah, you're not gonna get any defense from Dennis Prager, his YouTube channel, which we have watched far too much of on this show, uh, or any conservative of corporations. They have no interest in standing up for corporations. Right, <laughs> I mean, you know, my- my only regret with this debate was when he said that I should have immediately called out the faux right wing populism that we see so often these days, especially with like Tucker Carlson pretending to, you know, be against corporations. It's never about the way that workers are treated. It's never about, you know, how in this system, these corporations have a, a profit motive and a fiduciary responsibility to return on investment to their shareholders, which means they view labor as a as a massive cost that they seek to cut down as much as possible, right? Like that is not what they're concerned about. The reason why Dennis Prager started that I spit on corporations argument with they're woke is because he doesn't like when a company puts out a, a Black Lives Matter sign in support of BLM during the protests in, in 2020. Like, it's all about the cultural stuff. And let's just keep it real. Even the cultural stuff that corporations engage in is done specifically as an effort to get positive PR to, at the end of the day, help their bottom line and their profits. That's it. That's all it is. Uh, but they can't handle any type of, you know, progressive messaging from these corporations, even as they're crushing their workers and have been crushing their workers forever. I mean, it's just it's the way the system is set up. Dennis Prager and the right wing love that system. They are defenders of that system. They are literally paid by moneyed interest to continue providing cover for that system. That's the whole point of PragerU. Yeah, I mean, I think that, um, you know, whenever anybody, you know, and look, I don't want to, I don't want to let the the sort of identity politics stuff off the hook here. I think that is, I think there is like an important point about how that stuff is so, um, is so liable to be used in this way by corporations. Like that's, that's, that's actually a very natural fit because it's a, it's a moralistic politics that, you know, it's, it's really not about, you know, 
distribution of material resources or anything like that, right? It's it's about this kind of cultural signaling, and yeah, sure, a corporation can do that, no problem, right? That that doesn't, uh, you know, that doesn't threaten their interests. So I mean, it's very easily used by them or whatever by the CIA. Remember the uh, the, the cisgender millennial with generalized anxiety disorder from that, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know, CIA commercial. <laughs> Uh, also remember she spoke Spanish, which I will say is probably a useful job asset if you work for the CIA. Uh, you know, you're on the uh, overthrowing leftist governments of Latin America desk. Uh, that's, uh, that's, that's helpful to you. But like when somebody says they don't like woke corporations, like, okay, what's, what's the, or like woke capital. I'll see that sometimes. Like that's like, that's like the wine track version of that. You know, people say they object to woke capital. It's like, okay, which part do you actually object to? Is it the capital or is it the woke? I think we know the answer. Yeah. Yeah. It's Nike, you know, using Colin Kaepernick in one of their campaign ads, right? They didn't do it because they want to take a strong, you know, unprecedented stance against police brutality. They want to do it because they want to slang their shoes. <laughs> and it helped. Like that campaign was incredibly effective and profitable for Nike. Um, and so, but it enrages the right wing and it's really, look what they've done in, um, finding a way to message against corporations, which I think Americans do feel a lot of anger toward, right? It's actually kind of genius. And that's the thing about Republicans. Like, yes, they're well-funded and that helps, but in terms of strategizing, I just think that they're way better than the left, to be quite honest with you. And they realize, okay, there's a lot of, there's populism in the country right now. There's a lot of rage toward corporations because of the way they treat workers and how, um, you know, the revenue is distributed within these corporations. But like, we can't, we can't really touch on that. So how do we craft messaging that makes it appear as though we're with them? Like we understand their anger and their rage. And I think to some extent they've succeeded in pivoting the materialist argument, uh, like away from the materialist argument toward a cultural argument, which I can't emphasize this enough. The right wing is excellent at that. The Democrats and broadly speaking, the left is never going to win that war because think about how it's set up. It's set up as culture war issue. We, we've just manufactured it, manufactured it. You need to be worried about X, Y, and Z. And they, of course, use all sorts of hateful, terrible rhetoric. Well, if Democrats engage with that, the only thing they can do is scold. And that's it. Which, you know, it's worth scolding. Don't, don't get me wrong. It's worth condemning some of the hateful cultural rhetoric that we hear from the right wing. But you got to immediately pivot to this is this is what the right wing gives you. Here's what we want to give you. And then you move the conversation back to what Americans are actually furious about, which is their economic instability, their inability to pay freaking rent, even if they have a, a, a dual income household with two people working full time. Like it is insane. People are rightfully upset, angry, and they want change. but. I think the right wing succeeds in distracting them with the culture war narratives and the Democrats don't help because rather than focus on the economic insecurity and rather than be uh, principled on their messaging the way Bernie Sanders is, for instance, they just let Republicans frame the argument and they engage in that cultural argument time and time again. And that's it. Nothing more. 
like like when it comes to corporate power too like not that we need to underline how just <laughs> hypocritical they are um like here's an example so we all experienced a, a period of time very recently it looks like we're going to have another episode of it again of extremely high gas prices in the United States of America right and obviously while we need to be pushing for you know renewable sources of energy etc in the current setup when gas prices go up it hurts everyday people working people the right wing spent months attacking Biden. Biden's gone soft on the climate. Biden is preventing us from drilling. When you look at what uh, American oil companies were doing when gas prices were high, it's crazy. Like I had a suspicion, but I wrote a piece for Jacobin and I had to like comb through the numbers. The amount of capital that um, big major oil companies like Exxon allocated into exploration and new drilling sites was so marginal. It was almost, it, you couldn't even see it on the ground compared to what they were doing to their shareholders. They gave them so much money when gas prices were high because they knew, one, it's good for us in the short term to keep the gas prices high because we get this windfall capital. And two, after COVID, when you saw the plummeting gas prices, it was a good moment to sort of remind shareholders why it's a good bet to invest in ExxonMobil. I bring this up to say that like, if you want to wage war on capitalist corporations, why not wage war on ExxonMobil? Like if you are a climate denial guy like Prager, right? He's like, we need to be drilling more. Why not wage war on Exxon? Why is Exxon not taking advantage of all the permits that Biden was giving them during that period of time to explore more in the Permian basis? They weren't uh, in the Permian basin. They weren't interested in doing so because at the end of the day, profits come at the, you know, at, at the expense of everything else. I'm just saying that to just say like, even on something that they like, like on a culture war stance, like they like to be pro oil versus other forms of energy. They can't even do that well when they have the opportunity, um, you know, to come at some of the hypocrisy and problems of corporate power, which again, again, I don't think this audience needs a, <laughs> a reminder of why the right wing is full of shit when they start saying that they're anti-corporation. But here was a very clear example of corporate power actively harming people in the way that most Americans are going to experience that criticism. They're going to think anyone who's arguing for more gas drilling is right wing. Like you could do that and be a populist right winger, but they didn't. They were mad at, uh, at Disney because um, they had people of color playing stormtroopers or whatever the hell. Which, which yeah. would be a funny one because you wouldn't be able to see them. But yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, like, like I do think it is, it is worth like making some of these points because, because I know, look, I'm under no illusion that we have some big right wing audience that, you know, that, that doesn't, um, that doesn't really agree with this. But I do think one of the things the show is good for is to help arm people with, with things to say, you know, when, when the stuff comes up. And, um, and I think that, look, I mean, one, um, I mean, just run down the list. I mean, your example is certainly a good one, but also like, okay, so look, he spits on corporations. He, he has nothing good to say about corporations. He doesn't want to defend corporations. Okay. So, like, uh, does he want to make it easier for workers who, who work at those corporations to organize unions? Does does he want to raise the minimum wage? That'd be bad for this corporation's bottom line. Does does he, uh, um, you know, does does he uh, does he want uh, to uh, does he want to give everybody uh, health care so people who worked at those places, you know, are, are more able to uh, to stand up to their boss without worrying about you know where their family's health care is coming from no he doesn't want to do any no. of that stuff no in fact later at some point during the debate you know i don't know if you're going to show this part but let me just quickly reference it you know we were talking about he has this obsession with women staying home and oh, no, no, going okay, actually, a career let's just, 
Maybe yeah, because it's related to this in a way. So if you want to yeah, go to that clip. Okay, let's, let's, do, let's do this. We, we do have that clip. So. so I want to move on to other statements you've made, other issues. You know, you do focus on culture war related issues, uh, your distaste, hatred for secularism. I want to start off without putting words in your mouth, show a video of something you said just yesterday on the uh, Dennis Prager show that I thought was fascinating. So let's take a look at that and we'll discuss. The computer sticker phenomenon is crazy. It was actually one of the biggest what, shocks What does I that had. mean? What does that mean? On your computer right here, people, instead of just having a, a blank oh, back. Oh, I see, they would said messages. On, yes, it would either and be- And what was the common message? I heart women or um, just the, the female sign, you know, the circle and Wait, the Wait, I heart women on a woman's computer? Yes. All of this is proof to me that women need men. These women are manless. They may have hookups, but they're manless. And it, they might have been fatherless too. Ending with my generation, I would say in ending with the, the baby boomers, but un certainly through then, a young woman thought a lot about, do I have a boyfriend? Mm -hmm. What will my wedding be like? What will I wear? Who will be there? Who will the guy be? That is, that I believe is healthy and normal for a young woman. Mm -hmm. It's a good thing. That has been knocked out by, by the, the feminist left. And if you think about it, you're, you're, you're a weak female. So fascinating statements there. Uh, you seem to believe that women who love themselves, who love women, who feel confident about being women, tend to be manless and lonely. Do you genuinely think that? Do you think I'm manless well, and lonely? I, I, was, I, I think I women that, rock. I said that in general, women need men. And I've said a thousand times that in general, men need women. The fact that that's controversial is a statement about what's happened to our culture. But you got triggered by a story about women who have laptop stickers that just say positive things about women. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just, just uh, I love the fact that he can't pass the Bechtel test. Like, like women in his mind should not be able to pass the Bechtel test. Um, for, yeah. for those of you who don't know, Bechtel test is was created by cartoonist. Uh, who's on first name I'm blanking on right now? Allison but Bechtel. Allison, yeah, that sounds right. Allison Bechtel. Um, where basically, if you're watching a thing of media and the women only are on there discussing like their relationship as is to a man then then you know it, it's it's not really a good uh representation of women and so that that raises the bar of like what you know like, like such a low bar right there and he's just like yeah no no it's, it's uh everything that fails the bechtel test that is how women think well, or no, should he's, think. Just, he's just very concerned because they're sad and manless right, and, uh, right probably fatherless yeah right right they, they've got daddy issues for sure by the way i mean I didn't even know where he was coming at that from, right? So, I mean, when I think about my experience in college and anyone that has like gender related stickers on their laptop, it's usually something about like supporting other women. Like, I don't know if he was thinking of it as like women who love other women in a sexual way. I don't know what was going through his mind, well, right? It like, sounded like it at first because he was like, these are. 
these are women's laptops. Right. Is that? I love women. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, I'm sure his homophobia like played a role in some of what he was saying there. But to me, my mind immediately went to, especially after hearing him talk about like, oh, back in my day, well, the good old days, women would toil away thinking about their potential boyfriends and partners and they didn't care about anything else. Like, I just thought about how obsessed he is with women staying home, having babies, like catering to their husbands, like just the traditional like 1950s nuclear household. Like it seems like based on everything I've seen from him, he just longs for those days. And I brought up the point that, listen, if if women want to stay home and, and be homemakers, I mean, more power to them. I have, I don't look down at them. I don't disrespect them. I think that's actually... Being completely honest, staying home and raising kids, in my opinion, is literally the hardest job in the world. I couldn't do it. I would lose my mind. That's why I don't do it. <laughs> so I have a lot of respect for those women. But he seems to think that the reason why those days are gone is solely due to cultural changes. Exactly. And so I brought up, no, the whole point of feminism is to create a situation, create a culture in which women get to make decisions about what they do with their lives. So if they want to be homemakers, they should be able to do that. But you can't do that in today's economy. Literally, like both partners, like both members of a, a partnership have to work in order to make ends meet. And the reason why I bring that part of the conversation up is because he just said, I disagree. And like provided no argument for why he disagrees. And so going back to the whole thing about corporations, you know, underpaying workers and all of that. No, he's totally on board for that. In fact, he completely denies that that's even a problem. No, absolutely. And um, yeah, this always drives me crazy because, look, I have, I mean, I am, I am somebody who, I mean, I, I guess at this point in terms of income, I'm like mostly a journalist, but like also an adjunct professor, I live in a big city, whatever. I have like the most cookie cutter, socially liberal views imaginable. Like nothing I have to say about that is interesting or unexpected given, you know, like, you know, who I am and background and all that stuff. Right. I mean, I, I, I think any kind of anti-discrimination, anything, whatever, like I think what you think, I think, but also I love that you made that point because this is, such a bait and switch with all of this shit, right? Like he, you know, like, like, you know, we were talking earlier about, you know, whatever, woke capital, woke, woke corporations. Uh, a, you know, I, I wrote this article um, a, uh, uh, I don't know, a couple of weeks ago uh, for, uh, that was about, um, that was about why, um, you know, basically about possible 2024 candidates and, and I'm making the, you know, the case for Bernie, it was actually published in a right-wing magazine because like the editors were writing the sort of case for Trump. And so I was responding to it. And in, in the article, one of the points I made, um, and uh, this is uh, actually I'm not sure what the uh, legal name of this dude is, but it's the person who does the soaked on left on Twitter who like pointed it out to me initially, uh, that in the article, one of the points I made is like, look, the funny thing about this is like if you like if you look at like complaints about woke corporations or whatever. Like one of the examples they love is uh, James Damore, the guy who's who's fired from Google, 
because because he wrote this this memo that said like oh you know there are fewer women in tech because women are you know, I don't know innately biologically not disposed to tech or some stupid shit like that and, and he was fired. Okay, when all that was was litigated, that was when Trump was president, and so the National Labor Relations Board was full of all these like hardcore right wing union busters who were so anti worker that they sided with Google against James Damore. And oh, wow. Yeah, exactly. I, I did not know about that follow-up. That's incredible. Well, I mean, it's unsurprising, but I love that you followed up on that. Um, yeah, because they don't because they don't want to weaken the ability of employers to fire people. Like yep. that's, that's, So it makes perfect sense from their perspective. And it's the same thing here that like you have um, in like, okay, look, I think... Um, and there was a point, we don't have this clip, but there was a point in your debate when he was like insisting that if you said in a college class that like what you really cared about in life was uh, as like a young woman, which I knew that was like uh, finding a you know, husband, having kids or whatever. And I, th I think that like people would have a big problem with it. And you sort of said, I don't really think most people care that much about this. Uh, I will say like you, you know, teach, I teach college students. Um, I actually don't think, I mean, I, yeah, sure. If you said it like Dennis Prager, people would think you were a weirdo. But like if you expressed the the underlying sentiment, right? You said, I don't really care that much about, you know, work stuff. What I care about most in life is relationships and and the human connections. And, you know, I really want to have kids. I don't think anybody would blink an eye at that. I don't think anybody no. would have the slightest problem with it. Uh, that's a like 99.999% of you know, normal college students in most places would be totally, totally fine with that. But like, also, like, okay, I actually do think, I agree with you. I think that uh, like wanting to stay home and take care of kids, uh, like, you know, full time, I think is a completely valid life choice. Uh, and I don't, you know, I prefer to have a society, you know, see above where uh, there wasn't any like gender-based pressure on anybody in particular to make that choice, right? But like, if, um, but if anybody, right, you know, male, female wants to do that, great. I think like a decent society should, should like facilitate that as an option, you know, for, for people should, should give people the ability to do it. So I guess Dennis and I agree. So my question for him would be, okay, great. What's the plan to raise wages to the point where you could actually raise kids on a single income? There's no plan. There's no proposed policy. Again, everything boils down to culture for them, even if the argument they're making makes no sense. And like part of it is, I don't think that Dennis Prager is really at all connected or attached to reality because he provided, by the way, just quickly going back to his uh, weird anecdote about young women in a college physics class declaring that they want to be stay-at-home moms he couldn't provide any data. Like he just, I was like, I mean, wh where do you get that from? Like, what are you citing? What are you basing that on? He's like, I live in reality. And I was like, okay, so do I. But if we really take a step back and look at just the whole situation, like I still teach, you know, I'm, I'm taking a break now, but like not too long ago, I was teaching a journalism class at, you know, at a university. I'm more connected to what's going on culturally on a college campus than 74-year-old Dennis freaking Prager who couldn't provide a shred of evidence to back up the argument that well, he was he making. Well, he actually runs a university. Well, <laughs> right. Good. 
fair point, fair point. Um, but anyway, he, he just wants to boil everything down to it's our culture. And he's, I think he's probably doing well for himself and doesn't really know what it's like for the average American, right? The average person who's just like literally working a full-time job and still doesn't make enough money to pay rent, just to pay rent. He, he doesn't know what that's like. And so he thinks he could continue using this like culture-based argument in response to everything that's happening in the country. And it just doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. And I don't understand how anyone who might buy into his brand of politics gets bamboozled by this because this economic system that's crushing people doesn't just impact the left. It impacts the right as well. So how do you listen to that argument especially like as a woman who might want to stay at home to raise her kids. How do you listen to him say that and then argue that like, no, no, you don't need a, a dual income household. Like you could totally survive with one person earning money. H how do you buy that? I don't get it. It's weird. Yeah. And, and by the way, I really like what uh, comment uh, Silver Harlow says in the chat that, you know, I mean, I mean look, um, it's not just that, culture just happens spontaneously somehow and um, and then um, and and then like material reality just adjusts itself to it i mean like part of the reason that to the extent that you know i mean obviously depending on who you were and all that is more complicated but to the extent that there were more people who could uh raise kids on a single income in you know their white picket fence home or whatever uh we're imagining in the 50s in many cases it was because of industrial unions that were built with like sit-down strikes uh, in Israeli military confrontations in the 30s that like actually gave people those incomes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, everything he's against. <laughs> so, you know, it's, I think that, you know, the one area, and I've said this on the show before, where, because covering the kind of stuff that we cover every day, it just it's so demoralizing and it makes you feel like, nah, it's hopeless. Like, <laughs> But the one thing that I am noticing is just like the momentum behind people unionizing and organizing their workplace, how unstoppable workers at Starbucks have been and how undeterred they are, even with all of these retaliatory measures that have been implemented against them. Um, that gives me hope. Right. And what I think the only way the left wins is if we remain principled and we like really take a page out of Bernie's book. If we could multiply Bernie, um, and Bernie's messaging on the left and not get distracted by the infighting and some of the cultural stuff, again, condemn, obviously the discriminatory garbage that comes from the right wing. I'm not discounting that. But we have to stay principled. And any opportunity we have to force the right wing to reveal who they really are when it comes to these economic policies and these bread and butter policies, we got to take those opportunities and we got to amplify, again, who they really are. Otherwise, they're going to continue getting away with the tricky messaging that they're so good at. You know, just talking family values for a quick second, like, there are some, um, you know, very brave folks in Alabama who have been on strike for going on 17 months now at Wire Matt Cole. Um, mm -hmm. And, you know, we just uh, 
you know, I, I, I've been trying to amplify. They're asking for people to help donate so that they can get toys for their children for this upcoming Christmas because it's now the second Christmas um, that families have been without an income. You want to talk about family income stuff. Talk about the nasty extractive corporations that are coming into Bessemer, Alabama, taking that money into Wall Street and New York City to fund the lifestyles of extremely wealthy, privileged folks um, who are taking away from from those people. And of course, like you get silence um, from 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 these right wingers. And I think that like you do this, Anna, Ben does this and like just but just like as a broader left, like we have to get a little bit better at making these points that like the policies, the ideas that the right wing promotes are inherently anti-human, they're anti-worker, but they're also anti-family because if you're creating situations where people are having to take a risk like these folks have been taken um, to fight for fair wages, I mean, just like really quick recap, the workers there voted to take a temporary pay cut when the mine was not making as much money a few years back. The mine gets bought out by like primarily New York City, like financial firms. Um, and then it has its most profitable years ever. And when those workers said, hey, time for y'all to match the bargain that we struck, they refused to. Right. And you just get crickets um, from the right wings. So something that's material. Like this is so much more material of a fight, like something that you can actually do that can immediately improve family households in, in the place versus getting mad about what people are watching on TV or getting mad about what laptop stickers undergrads have on, on their computer. Right. And again, it's like it, I don't think our audience needs to be instructed too much on how hypocritical the right wing is, but we should also be able to make these arguments that like these things hurt families very much. And like, we actually are the group of people who are saying we want families to be able to live a thriving life. We want families to be able to stay together. We don't want families to have to, to be, to be struggling. Then I think sometimes on, on the left, there is a tendency to sort of shy away from ever using that kind of language about these things, which I think is unfortunate because it's a slam dunk. Mm-hmm. Totally. I totally agree with you. I mean, as you were talking, I was thinking about like my own childhood and, you know, there was, there were a lot of tough years and I remember, um, my parents are going to kill me for even disclosing this, but it is what it is. I mean, they were desperate. Um, at one point, like my mom had to go to work, right? Like, uh, my dad, he had a, a great unionized welding job that was, uh, shipped abroad <laughs> offshore. And so um, he ended up working as a handyman um, for a while. And that just, he wasn't making enough money to like be able to like sustain our family and all the finances and all that. So my mom started working as a, a substitute teacher's aide uh, within the LAUSD. This is when I was eight years old. My brother was five. And obviously like they can't afford childcare. So like my mom in the summer left us home alone and was like, I remember her telling me like, anyone knocks at the door, you don't open the door. You guys have to be quiet. Like, I remember being terrified because I'm like, and I remember her telling me if they find out that I left you guys home alone, they're going to take you away from us. Mm. And I was terrified, like absolutely scared. And I remember that's what my summers were like when I was really, really young, as young as eight years old. And I look back at my childhood and even with all those tough things, my parents loved us and and just cared for us so much that like I have fond memories of my childhood. But I think about all those children out there who have similar experiences and far worse because of the destructive policies and the destructive exploitation that the right wing in this country has not only provided cover for, but has actively fought to mm -hmm. implement, you know? 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, and yeah, I mean, I think that cannot be said enough times, right? That people, people who can like, you know, all of those trends that like some cultural conservatives love to obsess about, about uh, people waiting longer to get married, waiting longer to have kids, all that stuff. Feminism didn't do that. Gay people being able to get married certainly didn't do that. Wait, you, you, know? you think there's an economic reason for that, Ben? It's not because we're too sexually uh, loose these days. <laughs> Avocado toast. Yeah, it's uh, that. That is making people sterile. Yeah, uh, yeah. Like, it, it could be that, or it could be that uh, we live in a neoliberal gig economy hellscape uh, where people are increasingly precarious uh, and uh, don't feel like they can afford. To, yeah. uh, I'm sorry, like this, my life, like I've been with my part, my, you know, my, my fiance now for 10 years, 10 years. And I never felt comfortable um, doing the, uh, the the next move because it's like, for me, it seems sort of ludicrous to be able to do, to take that next step in my life um, before I was able to shore up, you know, basic things like paying bills, right? I'm just saying like for personal experience, I know I'm not the only one, like a lot of people are holding off on these things because they're frightened about taking that next step in, in, in life when they're so precarious, when life is so precarious for people. I mean, it's, yeah. No, absolutely. Um, and, I, you know, I guess just thinking about Note to End the Main Show on, uh, I, I, I love what Anna said earlier about the Starbucks workers, and, you know, and I think it is good to inject a little note of hope into, uh, into this stuff since... Well, and actually, we were, we were talking about this later. We were just chatting a little bit after the uh, the, the planning meeting for the live show, and David said said something I think that was exactly right, and worth saying in exactly the way he said it, which is that like the Bernie Sanders campaign in 2020 was 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 an attempt at a, at a kind of hail mary uh, to uh, to sort of uh, skip a bunch of steps that uh, that other successful left movements have, have had to go through. And it's certainly worth trying, but uh, given, you know, given its defeat, um, you know, this is a long, slow process because you're just not going to be able to win the kind of political victories that we need to win in order to reverse all of this stuff if there's no organized working class. And you know, getting to the point where you do have an organized working class is very difficult and, and it's a very long road. But also, you know, I can remember actually uh, when I was in L.A. last December having an argument with a um, with a, somebody whose name people would know, but I'm not going to I'm not going to embarrass him by naming him uh, at uh, out of the bar uh, where this person said, uh, you know, like at that point, this is last December, there was one unionized Starbucks. He was like, yeah, it doesn't really mean anything. You know, <laughs> it's one, you know, whatever. I was like, no, this is great. This is the first you do at Starbucks. That's huge. And now they're actually, I don't even know. Do you guys know what the number is? You know, not there are like my... hundreds, actually, yeah. hundreds of stores. It's crazy and awesome. And I love it. <laughs> so, you know, I, I love reading um, Jonah Furman's uh, reporting on anything related to organized labor. He does such a great job. And so, um, I read his work a lot when I'm feeling down and uh, depressed about what's going on. You know, the stuff that typically sucks up all the attention in the news cycle, which is usually demoralizing and makes you want to give up. But pay attention to those workers, because while all the focus is on those big national stories that are pretty terrible, on the ground, workers are aware of what's going on. And again, even with all of the backlash and retaliation they're, they're seeing from their managers and executives at Starbucks, they're undeterred. They keep going. Mm -hmm. and, and 
I don't want to discount Biden's NLRB. Like I have so many criticisms of Biden, but to give you credit, Ben, you were you were making this point, you know, while debating like Brianna Joy Gray over whether or not it makes sense to vote for Biden. You're like, he's probably going to have a better NLRB. And that's huge. That could make a big difference. And you were right about that. Yeah, well, I mean, to give credit where credit's due for that, I was I was reading Paul Prescott, uh, who was uh, who was making this point in uh, in Jacobin uh, that uh, that look, I mean, uh, you know, the Obama administration sucked in many ways. It sucked much more than uh, than what we've got now. Uh, you know, I mean, free trade agreements, et cetera, et cetera. You know, drone war, whatever. Like like we, everybody here knows all of this, right? But. Mm-hmm. Um, even there in LRB, if you compare it to the Trump one, you know, was, was way better because just, just given what the Republican party institutionally is like on a much deeper level than the sort of surface disagreements, you know, between like your, I don't know, your, your Trumps and your uh, Liz Cheney's or whoever, right. You know, like, like, like blow all of that, right. What the Republican party institutionally is, is such that, uh, their donors, their networks will not let them get away with not appointing hardcore union busters to uh to the nlrb and you know none of that is to say like biden has been great or whatever clearly not right but i mean like just as a um you know i mean that always seemed like the sort of clearest thing to me like that and the judges right you know that they that like um that that they and i think honestly I mean, it's a little bit, I mean, even in you know, parts of the left, like you were kind of alluded to that. It's, it could be an uncomfortable conversation, but I remember uh, Matt Leck uh, saying uh, saying this a little while ago that he's like, look, I've, I've noticed, seen a lot of people on Twitter uh, doubt whether who's on the NLRB matters, but I've never talked to a union organizer who's confused about that. Like, um, <laughs> that, that does matter. <laughs> and, you know, even if, uh, even if in many ways, right, you know, it's still the same old mediocre corporate Democrats, like, like just in terms of long-term horizons for the kind of movement we need. I mean, I think that's something that we need to, um, you know, to, to keep, you know, to keep our eye on. And, and yeah, I mean, I, I would, uh, you know, I would do it again, right? You know, I was, uh, um, you know, hold my nose in, uh, in, in my, uh, in my swing state. Uh, that makes, you know, that makes perfect, you know, that makes perfect sense to me. And I know people, uh, I, I think a lot of people, I think both a lot of liberals and a lot of sort of, um, God, I remember like Nico House. I remember having a debate with him about this. Uh, <laughs> if anybody remembers that dude. Uh, <laughs> a lot of people like that. Uh, also had one with him about Tulsa Gabbard. So nice. Just you know, just gonna say, I think I think history has rendered a verdict on that one. But um, definitely. But like, uh, I, I think both a lot of liberals and a lot of like people like that share in common they sort of over moralize this question of like what people do in the voting booth and like turning mm-hmm. like big like of almost some sort of like weird personal spiritual thing or whatever it's like no it's, it's not that deep right i mean just just like this is a tactical question treat it that way 100 percent. they yeah. believe in that process so much more than we do which is amazing like for the things that they accuse us of you know they really believe that that is like the difference maker that is like doing politics um where from my perspective, it's like that is just like the very beginning, um, if, if anything, <laughs> of engaging in, in, in political work. I don't know, like all those people who fed like the force to vote people, et cetera, like they really believe in this process in a way that's quite idealistic, which is, uh, I don't know, amazing to me. 
Um, so if we just, if we just force the vote with a Medicare for all right now, <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, you know, the, like, uh, you know, the sun would be out more, you know, food would taste better. <laughs> like, uh, you know, it'd, it'd be amazing. Uh, and I'm very, very angry that this thing that would have been on C-SPAN for 10 minutes uh, one day uh, didn't uh, didn't happen, uh, and, and I'm going to just continue to be angry about that until uh, until the end of time. Uh, thank you for the super chat, Ivan, uh, high school economics teacher here. That uh, that that warms my heart. Uh, send me a, send me a DM, and I'll, I'll direct you what I can on that. Um, I am really looking forward to uh, to to seeing uh, both of you guys uh, in Los Angeles. In uh, six days, that's amazing. Uh, this is this can be so much fun. I've you know been thinking about it, planning it. I've been I've been watching bits and pieces of, of some of the old TNBS live shows, um, and uh, and yeah, really excited about this. It's going to be awesome. Can't wait. Yeah, don't forget, y'all, October twenty third, and you know I'm turning thirty the next day. So like, let's uh, you know you're turning. Thirty? Oh my God! What the? I can't believe how young you are. Jesus Christ! Wow. Oh, uh, let, let me say goodbye to my twenties in a nice way with everybody, y'all. Uh, come join us in Los Angeles. I don't know if that's a compliment or if I look very old. Oh, it's a compliment. Um. Like, wow, you're just. I mean, you you seem. I mean, you look young. It's not about your looks. It's just like you're so smart. Like, no, I'm just wow, kidding. very impressive. I'm just kidding. Yeah. Um, no, no but like really it's gonna be like we um i don't want to pit like we should keep everything a surprise but like we went through the show today me jason matt and ben and it's going i've not been as excited at least from the outline of the show for for a show that we've done in a long while so i'm really looking forward to doing that with everybody <laughs> <laughs> all right i uh, thank you both so much i am very psyched about this um and uh, yeah, left his best. Left his best. <laughs> Thanks, guys.